0: Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Coming off of a two week recording break, so feeling a little bit rusty, and so I had to invite some guests on who have already been here and will go easy on me for my first podcast back from my wedding and honeymoon. Join with me today, I have Jeremy Burke, who most of you know as an incredible reporter in the space. He's the founder and chief. Editor, I think that's your official title these days. I'm like Editor
1: in chief, close enough. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Editor in chief. CEO wears all hats of cultivated. If you're not subscribed, you definitely should be. And we have Bo Whitney, who is the chief economist at Whitney Economics, a leading the leading economics firm in Cannabis. How are you both doing today?
1: Awesome. Yeah, good. good to have the band back together.
0: Yeah, it's great to have the band back together. For, for those of you who are regular listeners, you'll know that the three of us came on maybe a month or two ago to talk about 280E because the, the, Jeremy went deep on the history of 280E and Bo went deep on the impact of 280E. And so we've had some recent news, which I'm sure everybody here has heard about. But for those who maybe haven't... Um, the Department of Health and Human Services, the HHS, called for cannabis to be moved from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 in a letter that was written on August 29th, addressed to the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA. So, as a recap for people listening, Schedule 1 drugs are drugs that the federal government says have no medical use and they have a high potential for abuse. So, some of those drugs include heroin, ecstasy, and of course, cannabis. Schedule three is still very tightly regulated, but they're drugs like ketamine, Tylenol, drugs that um, you know. In in theory, Tylenol and uh, in cannabis, it's crazy that they're not on, on on the same level. So all of us on this podcast or anybody in the industry has felt in agreement that cannabis should not be a Schedule one drug. So this this news broke last week. Twitter, wherever you ingest your news has been going crazy since there's some things we know there's many things that we still don't know and so who better than to break this down for us than jeremy and bo so let's just start out by just taking a step back and talking about why this matters right why this announcement it's not like it's actually even happened yet but why does this announcement just as the announcement matter
1: yeah look i i I can jump in here and i think um you know, my perspective on this, I've been reporting on the space for a long time. This is really the first true concrete move to normalize how cannabis is viewed by the federal government, right? Uh, You know, the Biden administration or or Biden's campaign said that they wanted to make some changes to the way cannabis is regulated in the U.S. during the campaign. Um, Outside of a handful of pardons, you know, this is the first time where they've really done something substantive. And, You know, I want to hit hammer home how big of a move this is, right? Like, as you said, Carson, Schedule 1 drugs have a high potential for abuse and no medical use. That is unequivocally not cannabis. Schedule 3 is a huge change and it opens a lot of doors to normalizing the industry and as well as normalizing how policymakers view the industry and how the industry is regulated. You know, full stop. It's it's a historic change. All that being said, right, um, the move is not set in stone. The DEA still has to actually make the move. So we are talking about potentialities and hypotheticals a little bit here. Um, at the same time, you know, it's it's my view that um, the highest probability event is that this move will happen and the DEA will make the change um, sometime around the end of the year.
0: And Bo, from your perspective, just why this matters be- before we get into all the mechanics of what it means.
2: Well, First, we, we haven't seen the letter from HHS to DEA yet. It's not a public document. And so there's. I agree that there's a lot of speculation going on. Um, but what is concrete is that when a designation such as Schedule 1 is changed to Schedule 3, then there are certain triggers that result from that, such as it removes the 280E tax policy, away from cannabis. And what that means is that if you're a Schedule 1 or Schedule 2 drug and you're dealing in this space, then you're subject to this tax policy that was uh, created in the early 1980s. Um, Because it's Schedule 3, that no longer applies to cannabis. And so there's certain tax advantages, tax benefits, and the like associated with that change. And that's fundamental because a lot of the retailers in this space were paying in excess of an effective tax rate of 70% or more. Um, and so it gives more money back to the industry at a time where they're struggling to, uh, with profitability. In the, one of my surveys, uh, 24% of nationwide um, companies reported that they were profitable, which means 76% were either breaking even or not. And a lot of that is attributed to the 280E tax policy. So the fact that this has changed is beneficial overall for the industry, regardless of if you're a retailer, a manufacturer, or a cultivator.
0: Yeah, so let's double-click on that. So let's first talk about what we know would change if this went in, into effect. So I think this is a great place to start. So federal tax relief, we know would be a guarantee, so 280E. And I think this is super important because particularly – as it relates to jobs. And so from where we're sitting, with only 76, you know, with only, well, let me take that back. With only 24% of companies profitable and 76% not profitable, it's really hard for companies to grow and expand and to hire. And so from my perspective, I look at this from the lens of jobs. This immediately creates jobs. We are talking about MSOs paying 40, 50 60 million dollars per quarter in 280 ad tax that could and should be going to growth and we know that cannabis businesses number one expense is labor and so this is instant jobs it's instant cash flow in into the space there, I don't really how could anybody argue a downside of getting rid of this tax ASAP
2: well the argument on Capitol Hill, has been why would we give a bunch of stoners a tax break (laughs) and i've heard that directly from representatives and senators so you know this is a fundamental change this is a change in the mindset of congress in the sense that you know they're going to have to deal with this and view cannabis differently now that it's um, the proposal is to change it to schedule three and with the tax break it's not really a tax break you know, it's a tax it's reform, but there's actually, based upon our analysis, there's actually more money potentially flowing back into the federal government that they're giving up in this tax reform. Um, f- and just for perspective, last year the industry paid about $1.9 billion in additional taxes associated with 280E. Um, it's forecasted because more um, – more states are coming online, more businesses are coming online. This year, $2.1 billion of additional taxes. Um, By 2025, that grows to $2.9 billion, assuming nothing changes. So it's a significant amount of taxes that could go back into the industry. Now, the question is, what are the um, operators going to do with this? They could um, take that money and hire more people if they hire more people then they can increase their revenue potential and do that what this does is it increases the valuation of the company because they have more uh, money hitting the bottom line if you're increasing the valuation you have greater access to capital there's less risk there's greater predictability and the like so a lot of this is beneficial Um, it could result in jobs it could result in lower prices to consumer um, but one thing that is clear, at least from our perspective, which um, we're unique in this, is that we feel that it'll actually increase tax revenue at the federal level um, through this reform.
1: I, I'm just curious, like sorry, if I could jump in like what why why is that? And do you think it'll be you know replaced by some sort of excise tax?
2: Well, a lot of the tax policy change, right? if that money flows back into the industry, then, and they hire more people, there's going to be more payroll taxes. If they lower prices for consumer, there's going to be more sale because demand is very elastic, which means consumers are very price sensitive. So if there's more sales, there's more sales tax. If there's more revenue for the businesses, then there's more business taxes associated with that. And there's more Um, payroll taxes, more contributions to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the like. So, and it's in this sense that it's actually beneficial to the U.S. Treasury. In addition to that, for every dollar that's spent in cannabis, there's in excess of two, almost three dollars of additional economic stimulus that occurs from that. And so when you add that in, the multiplier effect, then it's overwhelmingly positive to the, not only the U.S. Treasury, but also to the states.
0: And, and, and on that same note, investor sentiment. Jeremy, can you speak to this and just what we saw last week and how we think this impacts investor sentiment? I don't think I've seen any, anyone in the cannabis industry on CNBC in a very long time. And peop- we were back last, last week.
1: Yeah, sure. So, so look again, and this is, this is sort of born of my, my reporting on the space for a long time. Like I, I, you know, I covered Tilray going public back in 2018 um, when cannabis was a mainstay on, you know, Jim Cramer and, and, you know, CNBC shows, right. Um, This is a huge move for investor sentiment. That's hard to measure. It's a little bit amorphous, but one way we can find a corollary is, you know, day-to-day stock action, right. Um, You know, MSOS, which is an ETF that tracks, you know, a basket of big U.S. cannabis stocks is often considered a bellwether for the industry. It was up over 20 percent in a day. Um, We haven't seen trading action like that um, in, you know, honestly, probably years. I have to fact check myself on that. Um, But that's huge. Right. Um, So we see the tickers on CNBC, you know, forums, retail trading forums like Wall Street Bets, which are, you know, millions of people, millions of retail investors like, you know, cannabis names, GTI, MSOS, Columbia Care, they were all trending. And um, all that was reflected in sort of the day to day price action of these stocks. And so that's huge, right? Um, The other piece is like, just sort of more anecdotally, um, you know, I'm also in business school right now. um, And I had more questions from, you know, even professors and uh, uh, other students who are just interested in the industry saying like, Oh, like what's going on with cannabis, like all of a sudden, you know, all these sort of smart people who are interested in finance and investing started coming back to me with questions. Um, And another, you know, just sort of funny tidbit is like my subscriber growth, like was huge last week when uh, the announcement hit. And so um, you just see people's interest pouring back into the space and look like, do with that what you will. Um, I think interest is good. And I think it's good for business. It's good for everyone's writing and everyone's profile. Um, You know, at the same time, you know, being sort of the focus of Wall Street bets may be good or it might not be so good, right? That often doesn't always reflect the underlying fundamentals of the business. Um, People can run up stocks and they can do sort of wonky things to make money. Um, And the other piece of it is that, you know, I have some reporting to show that a lot of the price action was also shorts trying to cover uh, a little bit and, and, you know, taking the opportunity to, um, you know, not lose as much money as they thought they might have had or to make a little bit more money too. And so, um, that's just sort of the way the market works. But overall, to answer your question, Carson, uh, you know the sentiment is good, and I think this will bring a lot of renewed interest into the sector for sure.
2: I think just just to add to that a little bit, there's there's really a couple of different types of investor plays here. There's the uh, the investors that look at fundamentals, and then there's the emotional plays, and so there's a lot of emotional, and that's that's kind of what. Flooded the industry with money at the at the beginning of all of this, you know, even ten years ago. A lot of emotion, a lot of the what if, the potential, you know, let's invest. There's a lot of excitement. Um, over the course of time, that excitement has waned, and then investment became more about the fundamentals, and the fundamentals really punished cannabis stocks because of a lack of profitability and, and other fundamental issues, overextension, too much capacity, declining prices, etc. But now that there's been reform, there is a certain air of positiveness in the for the in uh for the emotional place, and there's better fundamentals um, potentially for the the folks that trade on fundamentals. And so I can understand why That there's a 20% increase in those stock prices because there's two positive forces working in the same direction in this space.
0: And I think another point that it's one of these things that we've all been saying, but now to actually see it come to fruition, a lot of people have been saying, get your business in line, get profitable, fix the fundamentals. And when the growth comes back, you'll be positioned much stronger than anyone else, and the people that weather the storm will be able to dominate. Think about how many times that we've talked about that, or when people have had to make hard decisions, like advanced, when we did a round of layoffs. That's exactly what I said to the team of, we we have to get profitable. We, we have to be a profitable business, then when growth comes back, we'll be able to grow profitably. If we can weather the storm, we'll be better positioned than anyone else. If you say that enough times, you kind of start to think like, Am I just believing my own bullshit or could this actually be true? And now I'm starting to see exactly to what you just said, Bo, of the businesses, our clients, us, so many of my founder friends are in so much better shape now that we've gone through this super rough patch than they were before. So I do think that the people that made it through, like we've always been saying, could be really positioned strongly. Um, You know, another thought I was just thinking about, Jeremy, where you were saying how you were just getting flooded with your, your classmates and professors talking to you about the space. I feel like cannabis VCs have been, haven't raised new funds. You know, we haven't heard about any fund raising a new fund. And so do you think this could be a moment where cannabis VCs go back out to market and raise VC? I mean, there's been, think about how many, think about how many stories you used to write about, about insert company that just did a round. I mean, we haven't seen that in a year at least.
1: Yeah, no, that that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, I, I want to caveat my answer with I don't have any sort of specific insight about uh, venture funds raising new money. But um, to answer the question more generally, like, will this environment make it easier for investors in private markets to, to hitch onto that sentiment? I think yes, absolutely. Right. Um, just in my newsletter this morning, I think it was the first sort of like Seed round that I had covered um, for an insure tech company for for uh, that serves the cannabis industry in a very very long time right and that was timed for for right after the announcement I mean the the PR is savvy there um, so I think that yes absolutely is that James um, is
0: that James from Parallels Insurance Company
1: yes it is yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Casa Verde led that round yeah, yeah, yeah it, cool. it
1: did yeah yeah um, and so you know I I think on on that sense like yes absolutely for private market investors um, it will be very useful. Um, You know, at the same time, right, like a lot of venture investors, um, you know, they don't want to reinvest in ideas that haven't worked. Right. And so there are a lot of cannabis tech companies that have raised a ton of money in the past and gone to huge valuations and then started to crumble. Right. So I don't know if the appetite will be there to sort of reinvest in those similar companies. That being said, just because you know company X failed that idea doesn't mean company Y can't do it later on. And I'm sure very smart investors do see that. Um, but I, th- I still think people are probably nicked from uh, you know all these valuations just eroding, and um, you know th- there's less money on the table. Like when you have a lot of successful startups that sort of mints a new class of venture investors who have you know that capital to play with. Um, and we just haven't seen that rotation yet in cannabis, like we have in software and tech. Um, and so I think that will take some time to unravel. The last piece I'll say on this, right, is that, you know, move to Schedule 3 might make some institutions who back these venture funds a little bit more comfortable with cannabis plays. Um, probably companies like Vangster and ancillary so like cannabis companies where, you know, under Schedule 1, they might have had a clause to say don't invest in, in vice companies writ large. Um, and anything cannabis related would touch that. Now, I'm not so sure. I think you know, that may change, but that'll only change based on the appetite of the fund that wants to deploy that money, not necessarily as a rule.
2: Well, I think I, you know, I would, I I would supplement that by saying that a lot of that appetite for investment will depend upon the policy implementation at the DEA. because if they promulgate rules that are more restrictive in nature, for example, then that will suppress the appetite for investment. If they are more uh, supportive of the industry um, and open things up a little bit, then it'll stimulate more investment. And I think in the current environment and previously, a lot of the investors had to shore up their almost failing investments. And so they had to put money into those already existing investments just to keep them healthy. Um, and so there was there was not that pool of money that they could invest in new ventures. And so part of it was just shoring up their own portfolio, protecting that. And then you know there wasn't much left, if anything, um, moving forward. So it all depends upon the promulgation of these rules and regulations coming out of the DEA and and others um, as a result of this. Yeah,
1: no, I was just going to say, I think that's a that's a really good point, Bo, and, and what I should have said, like, you know, all policy is implementation is kind of the old rule of, of thinking about policy, and, and the devil is totally in the details here. Um, we, we don't know how the DEA is going to release guidelines. Um, Congress may go one way, you know, the executive office might say something else, and so we don't really have a lot of specificity about what this is all going to look like. I think that's a smart point.
0: yeah, let's let's move into what we don't know. And so one of the things that we certainly don't know is how this impacts interstate commerce. Who one of you guys want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, from the surface uh, inspection that I've done, uh, it doesn't really do much of anything uh, for interstate commerce. Um, but once again, it's all it's all up to the rulemaking. But for right now, um, interstate commerce, state banking, it's not really impacted, right? There's still all those risks, it's still federally illegal um, in the space, you know, so it, there's the asterisk that says it, it depends.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, <laughs> there are known unknowns, and this is absolutely one of them, right? Um, look, I think I think the critical way to think about this, and this is not my own brilliant idea, this is what, what lawyers who are experts in the process have told me is that Schedule 3 doesn't change that recreational cannabis is still illegal, right? Um, You know, there aren't dispensaries around the country selling you recreational codeine or recreational ketamine. Um, And so that process is still legal. However, because it is so tightly regulated by the states, you know, most smart people say it's still not likely that the federal government will come in and decide to crack down on, on these sort of state legalized dispensaries. Um, and, and the logic is this, right? Um, if they didn't crack down under schedule one, why would moving it to a less restrictive regime precede a crackdown? Um, that is sort of in a logical standpoint. Yes, it's all possible, but in practice, is it likely? I think the answer to that is no.
2: It may trigger things though, unintended consequences like a schedule three may force things to be um, in a in a pharmacy, it depends upon the state. It may force a doctor's recommendation in order to, or a prescription in order to get access to legal cannabis. Um, and so a lot of these nuances, you know, there there could be these unintended consequences and it's all nuanced by how the, the rules and regulations are deployed. Another potential huge benefit is if it is, a prescription now, then it has to be put on formularies. The pharmacies, the board of pharmacies have a list of drugs that are approved for a prescription uh, writing by, pharma, uh, by doctors. If that's the case, it may force um, the insurance companies to reimburse patients for their cannabis. This could fundamentally shift the way that um, the entire U.S. healthcare system, it, because you have more preventative medicines in the form of cannabis, rather than reactive medicines such as opiates and other prescription drugs. So, you there's a lot of speculation on what the potential benefit is if it goes farther and farther and farther, more relaxed. Um, you know, it could it could fundamentally change the entire healthcare environment in the United States. Will that happen? Is that something that uh, my firm is predicting no, it's not because it's not politically palatable. But if you just start connecting a lot of these dots, then, you know, the the potential is as great or as minimal as as one can speculate. It's just really up in the air right now.
0: And now another thing that we is is still going to be needed is something like safe banking. I, I think that some people just view this as schedule three as end-all be-all I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a, any sign that there's going to be federal legalization and we're still going to need some level of banking can connect do you see these two things going hand in hand do you think one triggers the other or do you think they're two separate they're, they're two separate items
2: for from my perspective there's been a lot of talk about safe banking and how that might be a catalyst for 280 reform um My firm has often stated that if there was 280E reform, then that would be the catalyst for other reforms such as safe banking. Because there would be just so much money floating around in the space. An additional $2 billion in the economy is a lot of money not to be tracking and tracing. Um, But, you know, that's a future policy change that will be queued up as a result of this but they're not going to automatically trigger safe banking as a result of a a rescheduling down to schedule three.
1: Yeah. I think, I think one thing I'd add to that, it's like, you know, hypothetically could this give some momentum to pass safe banking? Sure. It could, um, you know, they've tried nine times before. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but the fact is, is that, you know, for, you know, maybe Republicans who have been on the fence who say, yeah, look, we, we like states' rights. We, we want to help small businesses. but We don't really like cannabis. We don't like Schedule 1 drugs. Like, Could, at the margins, move to Schedule 3, give them some cover to, to vote for the bill? It's possible. Um, we don't know. And the second thing I'll say on that is that, you know, there is still a need for safe banking, right? Um banks will still decide to work with the industry on a case by case basis. Um, You know, these are sophisticated financial organizations, Um, they're all going to do it if the business case makes sense with the risk profile of whatever they're doing. So, you know, I I don't necessarily expect schedule three to catalyze and say, you know, now Goldman Sachs is taking GTI public on on the NASDAQ, right? I, I don't expect that to happen. Like the barbarians aren't, at the gate quite yet. That being said, it could be a precursor to those things. Um, But to Beau's point, it really depends on how the policy is implemented and what those rules really look like. Um, But I think the need for safe banking and the need for broader congressional reform is absolutely still there, even with a change to Schedule 3.
0: Let's move to talking about some other perspectives on this. You know, I think at the end of the day, everybody in cannabis would like cannabis to be descheduled and regulated more like alcohol right i think that's kind of what we all want but i think we also know that that maybe is not how our government works and in my opinion incremental progress is great progress but that's one opinion and jeremy i know you've spent time speaking to a lot of people who are really against the move to schedule three can you provide some insight that you've gained from the community of people that are, you know, actively saying this is terrible for the industry, which, which is, I've seen many tweets and LinkedIn posts talking about how, how bad schedule three would be for the industry.
1: Yeah. Look, I think um, those folks do have absolutely have a point, right? The move to schedule three it really only will help the industry. It doesn't really have anything to say about social justice, about criminal justice reform and all of these pieces that, um, you know, progressives and other other sort of grassroots level activists say that cannabis legalization should be for. Um, you know, to me, and I sort of touched on this in the newsletter today, there's a first principles problem here, right? There's one camp that sees cannabis as an industry. And how do we keep the sector afloat? How do we get more capital in? How do we help these companies grow? There's another whole camp that sees cannabis as not really an industry, as an opportunity to right the wrongs of the war on drugs. And oftentimes, those two issues come into conflict with each other. So um, I think this is a real test case for that. Whereas you have something that is incremental, but, but good for the industry, that doesn't really do anything about criminal justice reform. So you have some Anger and some emotion attached to that. At the same time, right? There is a fundamental point that they are making that I think should not get lost in this argument: is that more capital available to these companies means that they're going to have more opportunities to lobby um, and and sort of create the laws that benefit them. They're going to have more ability to monopolize um, through M and A and other strategic acquisitions um, to sort of get the lion's share of the industry before you know grassroots level entrepreneurs are able to get their fair share. Um, So it's making it easier for, you know, the companies that I think many of them see as the enemy to continue to monopolize the industry. Um, Now, look, again, like we've been saying, like we've been hammering home, this is all very hypothetical. Um, The change has not happened yet. There will likely be rules. And look, like the Democrats are doing this to appease and help progressives, right? That's who they want voting for them. And so they're not stupid. They know that. And they're, they're they're likely planning some other changes. I don't know what those are, but they're likely planning to do so. Um, but all that being said, I don't think we should lose the fact that this is a historic move and that also it does not go nearly far enough to make everyone happy. Um, you know, I'm reminded of this quote. There's a Reagan-era economist, Thomas Sowell, who said, you know, all policy is about trade offs. There are no solutions. There are only trade offs. I think this is absolutely one of
2: those cases.
0: Completely agree.
2: It is notable though, that based upon the survey, um, the business condition survey, twenty seven percent of respondents said that they preferred rescheduling over descheduling. So not not the entire industry is is in favor of a complete descheduling. You know, so others have said, well, they would prefer some type of rescheduling.
0: That's interesting data.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: You know, I I also think that. It, again, around the point of trade-offs and trying to make everybody happy, there's you know, a camp of people that when layoffs are happening because cannabis businesses are not profitable and they can't afford to hire people, they're angry because they lost their job and now they don't have a job in cannabis anymore. And then often I've actually seen some of those same people now going back out onto Twitter saying that, they're mad about this. So I do think that people flip-flop and kind of use moments like this to like get on their soapbox a little bit. And I've seen a lot of people, I think, take this moment to just like self-promote and like get, get behind something. And I think a lot of people out there, like the three of us are just trying to understand what does this actually mean for the industry and you know, how, how do we continue to try to move forward. But I've seen a lot of people flip-flopping their, their stances out there.
1: I think, I think on both sides, um, anyone who says they have the key to getting you rich through cannabis stocks and anyone who says the sky is falling on the cannabis industry, we're all screwed. I think those people have a bridge to sell you. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I try not to listen to the most extreme voices on social media. That being said, you know, I don't want to say that um, none of these people who are angry don't have a point. Like they absolutely right. do have a point. Right. Um, at the same time. Um, be wary, be careful. You know, big news lets people soapbox to your point. Um and you should be very wary of that.
0: And let's let's go into our predictions as we wrap up here and, and just some timeline. I mean, I don't I can't think of too many other examples, but in your guys' opinion, and again we're we're totally crystal balling this, but what do you see and based on people that you spoke to, the timeline around something like this? And what do you think is most likely?
1: Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You first. <laughs> I Yeah, look, like, don't 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 peg me. Don't don't, uh, you know, peg me on this. But uh, look, like I, I've been hearing, I think the DEA will will likely come out with some sort of substantive recommendation around the end of the year. Um, whether that's the first quarter of next year, um, or, or prior to that, I don't know, I think this process will take some time. Um, that being said, I've been absolutely wrong about stuff like this before, and I will continue to be wrong again.
2: So, for me, um, been in this now for almost ten years. Every year, full federal legalization is five years out. Even this year, I heard that right. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, ten times ten years since you know safe banking first passed. So, you know, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical um, in terms of. You know, what will all this mean and how quickly can it get done? But if you look at the way that things are lining up from a macro perspective and from a micro perspective, uh, there's talk about reduced interest rates in 2024, which is stimulative towards the cannabis industry as well as the rest of the economy. Um, There is a reacceleration of the um, vigor and excitement. About cannabis investments. But for right now, until this change is made, there's still going to be this suppressive effect on the industry. So, once again, you know, we're reaffirming our forecast that things won't really take off for the cannabis industry until early 2025, probably Q1 of 2025. It'll be a result of policy change, tax change, interest rate change, and investor sentiment change. So, you know, we're still targeting that 2025. Um, when will this be enacted? It takes a while to get public comments, to get inputs from industry, to get all this stuff. So, you know, it's going to take a while for this to filter through into, you know, actionable policies and, and the like. So,
0: and, and cash flow coming back into the space. You know, I, I one of my non-cannabis investors, he and I had a call and he was like, so how quickly do you think that we'll see revenue pick up as a result of this and it's like I I don't know. I mean when when once this goes away and then businesses their first quarter of not having to pay the tax and then they decide to reinvest into hiring I do agree that it could take some time and I've continued to bo use your report around your prediction around early 2025 but I think it gives everybody some hope and something to look forward to and something to work work towards because I will say that I just think, from like a psychological, emotional perspective, of just like no light at the end of the tunnel, it's hard for people to operate in, hard to motivate teams in. Versus now, we can say, listen, we see this coming. We think the economy is going to pick back up. We think the industry is going to pick back up. Let's get ourselves positioned perfectly for that early 2025, which isn't so long away. So I have a whole new sense of energy. I don't know if it's just because I'm coming off of. My wedding and honeymoon, and just generally in a good mood. But like, I'm feeling great about the space, and you know, those of us that make it to spring 2025, I'm I'm stoked for. So, any final thoughts as we wrap up here for many of you guys? As always, the conversation went by so quickly, and your insights are incredible.
2: Well, yeah, um, you know, for the longest time, investors, operators, policymakers, regulators—they're all kind of beat down on this, right? And there's been a lot of negative news. Right. You know, reduced basket rates, reduced investment, reduced revenues, you know, a negative growth in 10 states last year, you know, overall. And so this is really welcome news for the industry. It's a breath of fresh air. And I think that um, there's a lot of positivity associated with breaths of fresh air. And so this is a possible springboard um, moving forward. Um, but you're right. You know, in the last year or two, uh, operators have done more with less. Um, and so, the, you know, those that have survived are positioned for greater success moving forward. And so it's just more a matter of continuing to be disciplined within one's operations, continue to be disciplined with their hiring and all of that. And just to, you know, make sure that they don't get too far out over their skis you know, in the interim between this announcement and the actual implementation. And one other note is that, you know, on the doing more with less, a lot of companies, um, especially large MSOs and licensed producers out of Canada, have shifted their business models already. And so they're going to more of an outsource model or what I call a semiconductor model and where they do the design, the formulations, doing all this recipe and branding in-house and then farming it out to each individual state and outsourcing. And that has had 280E benefit already uh, for those companies that have done that. And so this will just add to those overall operators' bottom line. But the industry is not waiting around for this. They're definitely continuing to pivot to and can continuing to demonstrate their flexibility in a very, very dynamic market.
1: Um, Yeah. The last thing I'll say about this is, look, like I, you know, I've been covering cannabis for a long time, um, but covering the ins and outs, the negatives, the positives, the skepticism, right? This is, this is good. Um, This is a big move. I think there's a lot of people who have very legitimate complaints about this and very legitimate feedback on the policy. Sure. We all would have liked descheduling rather than rescheduling, but Um, in terms of my interest in the space, it's not going anywhere. Um, I think my job just got a lot more exciting with this. A lot more people are reading my newsletter. So overall, this is a good thing for me and I think it's a good thing for the space. And so um, I'll leave that a little bit of optimism and positivity here.
0: Absolutely, And, and if you like Jeremy's newsletter you could sponsor it. So Jeremy, <laughs> if people want to reach out, if people want to subscribe to your newsletter, or maybe even sponsor it, how do people go about doing that?
1: Sure, please do. So, uh, just subscribe to it, uh, cultivated.news slash subscribe. You can subscribe for free, um, for $5 a month, you get a couple little extra stories. Um, and if you want to sponsor it, just reach out to me and I'll run you through, uh, my readership, my click through rates and all my ad rates. Um, that email is Jeremy at News, And I look forward to, uh, Hearing from all you listeners, I have a great cannabis audience and I would love to get you in front of them.
0: And Bo, for people that want to subscribe to all of the work that you're doing and getting involved with you, how do people, people get in touch? If people have not read the Business Condition Survey, one of the most well-done reports in the space, of course, Bo and I are already starting to work on our jobs report that'll come out early next year, which is going to be super interesting. But Bo and his firm just do a ton of incredible work. So Bo, how do people uh, get involved with your work?
2: Yeah, it's as simple as um, going to WhitneyEconomics.com and then there's all sorts of uh, free reports, there's paid reports, there's news, there's newsletters, there's all sorts of uh, choice morsels to be had uh, from visiting my website.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you both so much. We did this podcast sooner than I thought, but I'm sure you'll both definitely be on again, if not uh, at the end of the year, early next year, once we hear from the DEA and we understand how this is going to roll out. I think we'll keep bringing this band back together and really appreciate you guys' time. Have a great rest of your week.